Okay, we're back. Episode 8, which for us has actually been quite a long time since episode 7. A long time. Which has been about uh, 6 or 7 weeks because I was away. Um, So apologies if we don't really remember (laughs) what we spoke about in the last episode. Although you, Rich, do have some follow-up from the previous episode. I do. If you remind me of it, then I will. (laughs) Here we go. So uh, you had a couple of points about um, fixed cost. Oh, uh, yeah. So one thing I've noticed when I was... Um, so we were talking about fixed costs possibly many months ago. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking that when I've fixed costs quoted on projects, I sometimes I've got into a situation on the project where I've quoted too low for it. And then I get halfway through and I think, this is turning out to be double the amount of work I thought it did. And it's actually more economical to quit than it is to carry on and finish it. Yeah. And that is a risk for the person fixed costing a project. So you think, oh, I'm getting a really good price, blah, 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 blah. But your developer might just be like, mm, I could just go and get some work on day rate and quit. So what would happen in that situation? Surely the contract must cover if you don't deliver what you... You just wouldn't get paid. Usually. Oh, you just wouldn't get... Oh, I see. Okay. But like, if you say you say this is going to take me a month and then you realise it's going to take you three and you're like a month in, you've got two months of work to do for effectively no pay. Or you could just... Take, to stop. You could just stop and find something else and then they would pay you for the next two months of work and you would end up free... Well, it depends how quick easily you think you could find something else. But if if you could, then three months would have elapsed and you'd have got paid for two months' work. Whereas the other way, three months would have elapsed and you'd have got paid for effectively what you quoted for for a month. So yeah, you'd sort of be better off. If It's it's if the estimates go really wrong, which... Is it likely? Which, yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah. If, it's off, if you're off by like... 10, 20%, it's okay. It's if there's some like complexity you didn't realise and it like, yeah, you get surprised and then you think, yeah, should just should just quit. So I've had it, it happened to me really recently actually on a project that just, I think I was just a bit eager and I was like, oh, I can do, I can definitely do that. And halfway through I was thinking, and in that case, I went to talk to the guy and he actually said, oh, okay, I see your point. And he raised the amount of money that they paid us, which made it a bit more worthwhile, but mm. still not really worthwhile. Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't really. I was thinking you couldn't quit. I was thinking you were thinking you'd get paid and just not deliver anything. But obviously, you're saying it's actually you'd actually just write off the time. Yeah, you just say because uh, it's really all. I mean, if you look at it logically, it's the amount of time you've got left for the like what you've got left to do. If you're staring down the barrel of two months of work, and in total you're getting paid for like one month on a, yeah. and it's going to end up taking three months. You might be more economical to just not do it which is bad but yeah it's a big i mean i guess there's a risk of of a reputational loss there but But it depends because like two months like on the project i worked on recently it was something like that we misestimated it quite badly and yeah like it was the reputational risk was on my mind but on the other hand one or two months like say even if it's like you need to do a month for free it depends how many months you've already done you know if it's quite bad if you're looking at two months of work and you've got a month left to go. You quote it for one and it's going to take two and you're at the end of month one. Like, yeah, there's no risk if you just get a day rate thing. Yeah. So it's kind of tempting. It'd have to be a pretty unreasonable customer if you went to them legitimately and said, look, we've screwed this up. It's going to be another month's work. And they just said, tough. So the reason that it does sort of sound on the face of it like that might be unreasonable. But the other point that I was going to make was that... um, when people buy fixed cost software, they're thinking about like a list price of it's going to cost me £10,000. And so they may just physically not even have that money or they might not have it in their budget. 
Yeah. They may, maybe they most, might be really reasonable and they're like, oh, that is a shame, but I literally don't have any more money because you said £10,000 and I have £10,000 and yeah. that's that. But then, I mean, I guess in that, though, yeah, but then it's a question of are they thinking of it like, well, you can't do it for that much, so I'll go I'll, I'll go elsewhere, which is an option. Or they mm-hmm. go, well, okay, we don't have the money now, but you can owe us, you can invoice us for some more and we'll pay it when we can. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in that situation. Yeah, that's quite. I mean, we had a, we had a problem. We had, for my startup, we had a, a, originally we were contracting out the website to a company mm. that um, eventually didn't really deliver, they delivered nothing basically, or a very, very doddy website that was terrible. Um, but we'd got, they'd, um, my boss had got into the problem where he had actually already paid them part of it up front to sort of encourage them to, to do it very quickly. Yeah. Um, but it turned out that it was a very complex website and they had, they didn't really have the talent to do it. They were more of an iOS shop and they were like, oh, and we can tack on the website, no problem. But it ended up being, there was no iOS app and the website yeah. was non-existent um, but in the end it was my boss that was just said to them look we're just walking away yeah. we've paid you X and we're not paying you any more yeah um, I think that's pretty and that was actually for us it was the by far the best option if we'd have carried on yeah I wasn't working full time for it at the time but if we'd have carried on with them it, we would have had a considerably worse product yeah so what we actually did was then find a just a, a freelancer a guy a bit like yourself and just said look this is what we've inherited yeah just do what you can to get it done yeah and he just you know he hacked around and hacked around but he did get it he got a functional website by the end and that was what we needed and then we set about writing it from scratch once we got our you uh web designer yeah yeah and it was just the dip it's funny the difference there though it had gone from a let's try and do it properly with this firm to well screw that we just need it to be done and then this guy came in and just was like, I just hacked away at it, really. Yeah. And got the job done. I, f- I feel, in general, I feel sorry for people that have to buy software off of software developers. The more I've been on the other side and you talk mm. to people, you realize like it's an absolute minefield. It's a bit of a minefield even if you know how to develop. And it's particularly a minefield if you're a business person that doesn't know. Yeah, because I, I was involved in some degree when they first started out. I wasn't involved in any of the contractuals. But I, what I wasn't involved in is the estimation of the feature requirements. Yeah. And that was the problem, yeah. is that my boss had decided, had said, like, these are the features in sort of one, I assume, one-liners. Because all of the, that was, I mean, that was the other interesting thing about that project is that we had a, we had things that could be described quite easily, but were functionally very difficult. Yeah. Like, um, you know, streaming, this was, you know, four maybe longer, maybe four or five years ago, we were talking about we need real-time streaming of a lot of data onto a screen yeah, at once. Yeah. And things like WebSockets then were still quite in their infancy. Yeah, it was early days. Yeah, gosh. so they were thinking like, you know, all of that stuff, just technical problems we had to solve Yeah. on top of building quite a big website. Yeah. And that's where that's what undid them in the end. But it was um, from being on that side or not being involved enough, yeah, it left a very bad taste in my mouth of those guys particularly i would never i would never work with them again yeah just because i'm like you guys were jokers yeah you messed it up yeah it's hot i've been on both sides and it's yeah it's i don't do fixed costs anymore really no I, th- my... I think you said that in the previous episode and i completely agree i think from both sides fixed cost is a bad idea yeah it there are very few as a cons- customer there are very few times that you need to do fixed cost and they are, must always be at the cost the price of having worse software i think 
I can't, I can't. I think I agree with that. It gives the developers weird incentives that often affect quality. Yeah. Because... Well, could the quicker they do it, the better, right? Yeah. and But also, yeah, it's just it's just an absolute minefield. I think there maybe are times with certain bits of software, the smaller a project is, the more amenable maybe it is to fix costs. But yeah, it's just... And I, I've just got to a point... There's like this weird psychological effect that happens where people want to get a really good price and do their software really cheap, but then they start talking to the wrong people that are probably going to mess it up to do it at those prices and stuff. And it's just like, it's mad. You're kind of better off doing it on a day. I mean, you can't, you can't win. Building software, if you're non-technical, like paying for software to be built is really, custom software is just a living nightmare. And really what you need to go and do is find someone who knows what they're doing and get them to help you do it. Even if they're not actually building it themselves is what I, my position now. So like they would grab someone like you and you would be like, okay, let's like spec out the requirements yeah. and get the estimates and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Make sure everything seems about right and that they know what they're doing and like keep an eye on the pull the, request. The, the problem is though, even then is, yeah, okay, keeping an eye on the pull request. But the issue is how do you gauge the quality of a company that you're, go, that you're going into, even as a technical person, right? Previous work, maybe, but it could be faked. It's hard. That's hard. Well, that was the thing. These guys had a really big... The the company we use had a really big like previous. Yeah, I remember they looked good. Yeah, like, everything they, they would do. They did the app for like CMC Markets or something. Yeah, and so that I mean it in a one line of that was like wow. I mean you've done a good job there. It's a similar. It was you know a roughly similar product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was looked really cool. Won some awards. You're like oh great, but then they still screwed it up. So it's like I just it's, it's so hard to get that sense of super hard. Yeah, and I guess even if. At least if you've got a technical person on the customer side and you're keeping an eye on pull requests, you could you could pull it up and be like, "This is not good enough. It's not going well." But but even would you? I mean, would you in, would be able to say, "Look, this is this this code isn't up to the standard I'm expecting." Yeah. Can you say that? I don't know if you can. You. I don't know what would happen. Most so. customers I've encountered never do that, so I don't know what happens. No. I guess I guess you. Oh, I don't know if they have. That's, that's a bit difficult because they've technically delivered what you've asked them for it, and it's really hard to specify the code quality must be good. Like, yeah. That's vague as hell. So there's yeah. no there's no way there's no ways to measure code quality really. No. So Apart the, from things like that's why day things. rate would probably make more sense because then you can just send it back, but it's going to cost you more money. Mm. So it's it's tough. It's really hard. Yeah. I guess the perverse problems with the day rate is that they could just take forever to do it. Okay. I but yeah yeah they could drag it out. Yeah. They don't have a financial incentive to do it quickly. Yeah. So, like, it, it's really difficult. You Basically, it all comes down to integrity and trust. Yeah. It's what, the only thing I can figure out. And but I'm not sure you can trust every no. contractor out there. No, the, what I tell people is you need to find somebody who you trust who is technical and get either get them to do it or get them to help you find someone else that they either know or trust or can vet. Yeah. Because you basically... The, it's if, who you know basically if you're non-technical the developer can really hold you over a barrier a, a barrel like they can just be like you know oh yeah the combobulator wouldn't fit to the whatever yeah but even if you're technical you can still kind of get mugged off a little bit so it's yeah it's it's pretty pretty tough it's easy to be mugged off in that situation because if unless you're keeping like you say a close eye on it they could just be like oh this thing and you're like Oh yeah, that sounds yeah. That there's sounds lots of things that sound you, reasonable. Yeah, I have a list that I just keep to hand like things that <laughs> things sound reasonable. Yeah. Oh my my git's corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the API is backwards. You yeah. know how it the, comes out backwards. It's the, really hard. Yeah, the API is backwards. My tokens expired. I don't know. Just like different <laughs> things, different random excuses. 
Yeah. Cool. Oh, man. So that was your fixed cost bit. And then you, you just had another point here about the skill sets of product uh, It was more just an observation. I, I don't want to labor it too long, but basically I realized that in my career, I have encountered very few people who are good at defining products. So sometimes they're like a project manager or sometimes they're called a product manager in more Silicon Valley companies. But basically their job is to come up with requirements and that is their specialty. There's a guy called Jason Freed, who is the co-founder of Basecamp mm-hmm. with another guy called DHH. And they're quite famous and they've released a load of books. And I've listened to him talk a lot. He is good at it. He's like one of the only people I can point to in the world. I can just tell. Like he thinks about the product base camp and what it should be and what's like good for customers and like Does I he have see- any technical background? Um because that would help, right? Maybe a little bit, but not a lot. Because right. the other founder is the Ruby on Rails guy. Okay. So like he so like he he created Ruby on Rails. But so I think he maybe some, but no, I think he's a product guy. Okay. And but he is really just a product guy and like he's seems quite good at it. And he he also seems to understand what is and isn't possible, which is quite important as well. And then he works with UX people and all that stuff to presumably like get it good. But he's he's one of the only people I've met, and it is definitely definitely a skill. Yeah, and kind of. Yeah, underappreciated. It is. I think it's a very valuable skill. Like UX is a is a very valuable and sometimes underappreciated skill as well. Yeah, but they're both. Yeah, UX kind of creeps into it. I think UX is probably a good skill set to have to become a very good product manager actually yeah. i think probably the best that i can think of and coding is also a good one yeah i think we said before right that oh, i think i definitely said before that it's interesting for uh, mrs jass to see what how people's opinion of things change once they can see even if it's just a mock-up of something mm. um that they go oh no that's not right and it needs to look this way and that then impacts a lot of decisions down the chain but yeah. when you're talking about it in the abstract people are like yeah. yeah, everything yeah. seems fine. It's like, is it cognitive dissonance? Is that yeah. the term? It's like everything. Just like you, just like you can convince yourself it's okay. Yeah, it'd be like you know, we don't need that, and then you see it without it, and you're like, well, yeah. this just doesn't work. That's <laughs> really dangerous. That <laughs> that thing, like, it's probably the most dangerous thing for software projects going over time is like people being like, yeah, it'll be all right, yeah. and then it's totally not all right, which it never is. <laughs> but yeah, so I think maybe actually thinking about if you were starting a project without and you had no technical expertise. The first thing to do would probably be to get a UX designer on board. Yeah, that's what I tell people. Get a UX designer and get a software person you trust. Get the UX designer, like tell the UX designer what you want, get them to come back with like what it, it, the product you're trying to build and then run that by a Cody person mm. to be like, oh my God, that's impossible or yeah. no, no, it looks fine. And then that's like a pretty good start. Yeah. Because then the non-technical founder has at least seen what the thing looks like. They've thought about it from a visual point of view. Yeah. That's a great starting point. Yeah. Because then from a developer as well, you can be like, okay, I can see a login. I can see a view of orders. I can see a, an order button. Yeah. And then you knew, like as a developer, I'd be thinking about what my what's Four the APIs. APIs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I can tell you that of the clients and different startup people I've ever met, less than 10% do that. Right. So it's just like, it's not what anyone does. They... You're lucky, to be honest, if they scribbled some stuff themselves on a piece of paper, let alone hired someone. It's all just in their heads normally, is it? Yeah, they're just like, or they just really over-trivialise it. They just say it in words. And they're just like, I just need the orders. Um, and yeah, they need to be able to do this and need to be able to do that. And you're like, that's really not very specific. Like, it's not a product. Yeah. You are describing a product, but it's like kind of vague. Mm. And then it, And then that's where you're like, 
well, if it only needs to do those things, then you get halfway through and they're like, oh, of course, people need to be able to sign in. The number of projects I've worked on where no one actually says that people need to be able to sign in. You, I guess you maybe just assume it, but there'll be other things like that that creep yeah. up. And it's just, well, sign-in's an obvious one, but yeah, there might be other things where they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that, obviously, and you're yeah. like, oh. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, like things like um, taking payments, people might not, uh, doing refunds, that's a good example. Yeah. People will be like, we need to take payments, but they'll never really talk about the fact that maybe they need a UI where they can issue refunds. Yeah. And like, but if you deliver the software about refunds, they'll be like, what the hell are you doing? They'll never mention it once, but then they'll yeah. be like, obviously I need to do refunds. And it's like, is it is it my job as a developer to figure out all the things you might want to do? Well, yeah, it's impossible, right? You kind can... of, but not really. I guess with your experience, then you'd be like, if somebody says card payments, you're then thinking, well, there's a list of four or five things yeah, that actually yeah. is what they mean by you card You definitely payment. learn for the common things, but then there'll be unique things in every project that they're just... And the funny thing is, is the business person always... It's completely elementary to them. They're like, well, of, of course. Like, whatever thing it is, they're like, oh, yeah, of course I'd want that. They're like, <laughs> they're like oh, it's just in your mind somewhere, which I think it's common for all requirements. It's the problem of requirements, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's difficult to imagine what you want until you see it, I yeah. guess. Keep it specific, people. Keep it specific. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's good. That's a good little uh, re-summary of what we spoke about before. I'm tr- my memory's slowly coming back. And there's one more thing that I definitely need to mention, which is that the Linus hamster insult, if anybody does remember that, is actually a Monty Python thing. And you and I were like, it's really weird that he's calling him a hamster. <laughs> and then one of our avid listeners told me that that's actually a Monty Python joke, which we looked it up, and it is. So yeah. thank you. And actually, later on, he has to say that it's a Monty Python. Yeah, thing. he actually clarifies in the rest because of the somebody thing. else, nobody else, somebody else doesn't get it in the thread. <laughs> so obviously, our IQs are not up there with Linus's, or we just don't remember Monty Python that well. well. I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen that film. I don't recall the joke. No, I don't. So. I can only remember the the swallow joke. No, that's all I've got. Um, cool, cool. So it was your topic today. I say your topic as you've made some notes so you can actually lead the way on this one, which is um, permanent versus contracting jobs, I guess, or yeah, job. careers in either. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think this will end up being more about contracting because I would imagine most people already know more about permanent stuff because I think almost everybody that does contracting will probably be permanent first. Maybe not in all cases. Mm. Maybe self-taught people might do freelancing first. Yep. So I have contracted since for a few years. I'm actually losing track. A few years. And before that, I was perm. I think I spent, yeah, about three. And before that, I was perm for about five years. Yep. And you have been perm. The entire time. The entire time. But you have the first-hand experience of both me and Mrs. Jass, who started contracting a year ago. A year ago, yeah. So you are not necessarily a stranger to it. And you also do a thing which is very contract-friendly. So Yeah, that's true. In the KDB world. KDB space, yeah. Which I have yeah, never done, but uh, yeah, that's definitely there. It's more of sort of explaining and demystifying contracting. Is that how you would... Yeah, we would like we to should do, start or? off with what it is, and particularly what the difference between contracting and freelancing is. Yes, uh, which I am not sure. I, well, I think the main difference is, is there isn't really a difference between the two. They're mainly it's to do with, like as far as the government yeah, in this country are concerned, they're the same thing. It's effectively you're not permanently employed. Someone is paying you money. So, and- so I guess I guess starting at the beginning, right? Like, so so obviously, if you're if you're a permanent employee, we're talking about in the UK. PAYE employees, i.e. 
you go to work, yep. the company that you're working at pays you a salary net of any taxes um, and they deal with the taxes with yeah. the government. Yeah. You might still have to do a tax return in depending on different yeah, countries, it, but it's the simplest yeah. form of employment, you, I guess. You get, yeah, and you get certain privileges with it. So you'll get, usually in most countries, you'll get sick pay or some... Um, holiday sick pay. pay. Holiday pay. I'm trying to think what else. You Pension get. contributions in some countries. Yep. Um, prob- in lots of countries, probably a notice period or like they can't just like buy you once you have some sort of rights in terms of if they decide to get rid of you yeah you they have to give you some money or something yeah before yeah so and then when we're talking about contracting then it's it's different there's a lot i guess the problem here might be that it varies in different countries a bit but but from us our point of view i suppose in fairness you can do contracting as an individual not through a company yes which is possible but contracting doesn't get the sick pay the holiday pay your rights in terms of when they tell you to go, how much they'll pay you are pretty slim. Uh, but yeah, so contracting then it's it's that you're not being paid an annual salary; you're being paid either on a uh, generally a daily rate or daily. an hourly rate. I guess you could say as yeah. well. You tend to be contracted for a set amount of time, but it could be as short as a month, I guess, or shorter, up to twelve months, say. Yeah, and you're being paid as um, gross of any taxes and any expenses or anything. So you're yeah. being paid as like a service for the company that you're working for, yeah. not as an employee. Um, and in a lot of cases, you need to bring your own equipment, actually. That's a difference as well. So if okay. you have a perm job, then if you needed a laptop, they would buy you a laptop. But if you're a, con- if you're a contractor, you'd kind of be expected to provide your own equipment, but not all equipment, and it's a bit blurry. So yeah. it depends. Like I'm sure if you were contracting... I don't know, and you worked on an oil rig, you probably wouldn't be expected to bring your own drill or something, I, yeah. I would imagine. But maybe. It also I, depends where you contract, right? A lot of places they'd have their own hardware because they are locking things down or limiting yeah. things in certain ways, right? And then how how you actually get paid is probably going to vary quite a lot by country, and we probably only really know about the UK, although I think a lot of countries, including the US, are really similar. But you can either be sort of what they call here self-employed, which basically means... The money comes directly to you as an individual. Yeah, sole or, trader. They call sort of sole trader, yeah. And then you have, um, you can start a company, and there are like different variants of company. But you can start a company, and the money goes to your company, and then you can choose whether to pay yourself from that company. Yeah. And I think that'll be the one that we're mainly going to talk about today. Yes. Because yeah, well, in the UK at least, it's the most tax efficient way of yeah. running running as a contractor. Yeah. So. You, the company that you set up runs provides the service to the the person you're actually working for. The reason it's most common is because most programmers that are at a point in their career where they can contract will earn enough money that it kind of makes sense to do it because there are overheads which we'll talk about. But you you're going to need an accountant, and it's more it's more complicated basically. Yeah, and you need you need to make enough money for it to be worthwhile and to pay an accountant so that you don't go to jail. So it's, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of like. Yeah. You so then that's contracting. And then freelancing is actually the same. It's just, I guess it's a looser definition about as to what you'd say if you were freelancing versus contracting. The main difference between the term freelancing and contracting for me is that freelancing work tends to be shorter term. So yeah. it might be by the hour. And if you're freelancing, you might have two clients you're working for or several clients, and you're maybe doing an hour a day on each. But as a programmer, there are freelance programmers. There are other related software things like UX designers or designers where I think it makes a lot more sense to be a freelancer and work on three projects in a day whereas coding for me 
the context that, switching is the too bad. The context switching overhead's too bad. And so realistically, most companies want... It's also how long it takes to deliver some software. If we say two months of development, that's not that long. If you say two months of designing, that's almost an eternity. That's, that's like a lot done, of designing. Yeah. So I think it's like if a company wants some stuff done six months of development time is not that ridiculous whereas six months of designer time so you tend and they, are, are they going to want someone 50 percent on it they probably want it actually to get done so they yeah. probably just want someone 100 percent on it for a period so yeah. you tend to end up contracting is more common but i would also say freelancing might be like someone has a two weeks here or three weeks there and you switch it up so but they are in terms of how the government see it in most cases they are more or less the same, or your accountant sees it really. Yeah, yeah. You're you're providing a service. It's just a question of what sort of time horizon and maybe the flexibility with how the the split between different uh, customers that you're providing yeah. services for. I suppose exactly. Um, yeah. The, so the commitment level of contracting is generally a little bit less than perm, and then say. freelancing is less again to contracting. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so with a perm job. How long do you think someone should sort of... So you don't have to stick out anything because mm. that would be slavery, I suppose. <laughs> Which would be you can't bad. leave. You can't leave. You can't leave now. But like how long... What's your sort of thing in your head where if someone takes a job, you're like, they should probably stay for... How... A year, I think. Yeah. And prob- probably a bit longer than that if they want to be... Because I think if you did a, a year a lot, people might be like... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I think a year would be worst case... Um, I've, I've, you know, I've started a job that I don't really like, but I, I don't want to look for it to look too bad on my CV. I think any shorter as a permanent, you're going to be like, what, what happened? And you might be, there might be a legit, legitimate yeah, reason. Yeah. You might have joined a company, they completely missold you the role, and you're like, what the hell am I doing here? In which case, you'd leave after your probation, probably. Yeah, the thing I hear a lot of people say is that one blot like that's okay, but if you see someone who's serially like one years or something you like they have three one years and every time they're like oh there was something wrong with the company yeah like is it you or yeah so i think i think you're kind of expected i would say a year and a half is pretty safe to two to two years it's pretty safe and then no one's really going to ask any questions at that point so with whereas with a contract i mean freelancing is even shorter but a contract can last probably usually three months is around the shortest I see, like in the UK. Six months is quite common and sometimes a year. You don't tend to see much longer than that. I would say six months is pretty, or three months is... Six months is probably the most common, actually, Yeah, uh, that I see. So, yeah, you're kind of... So that's a lot less. And you can walk away at the end of that six months. No hard feelings. You can actually walk away sooner than that, but maybe they'll be annoyed with you and your reputation. Yeah, that was actually something we didn't say of the definitions, is that, of course, if you're a permanent employee not on a probation period, you tend to have a notice period of probably a minimum of a month at least yeah. in our industry yeah or sometimes industry. three if it's something yeah, mine's currently three months yeah i've had a three before as well and uh you know the more senior you are the longer it can be there's 12 months and six months yeah if you work on something with like a lot of ip involved yeah particularly something. sensitive if you just took it somewhere else yeah yeah um with contracting you tend to have notice periods but they tend to be either a week or two weeks, well, I think. Well, I think my last one was a week. Yeah. I think they're often a week. And normally they're two ways. So they can get rid of you in a week and you can go, you can say, I'm leaving in a week. Yeah, yeah. It's the same as a perm contract, right? That's the notice. So it works both ways. Symmetrical, yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose, but again, it's it's like what's the, on the commitment side, you're saying, well, if I generally on a perm run, you'll have a, a probation period where they'll decide whether they want to keep you. And during that time, it might be quite short. Mm-hmm. 
so that's where you've got to really decide whether it's something you want to do because if you if you stay longer than probation then we're saying well we're saying well then you should probably be there for a year and a half yeah a year year and a half but with contracting yeah i mean they can decide that actually they don't want to pay you anymore or or vice you can say this works just terrible so i'm going to leave yes and Uh, i think because of that commitment level you tend to get interviewed less harshly for contract roles because it's like if this guy's rubbish we're really only down like a week's worth of money so which i i think it's it also tends to be an area which is more dominated by more experienced people Mm. but it can't freelancing that is not necessarily true yeah for contracts i think it's true it tends to be someone who has at least three years and at least two years in a perm job well generally is if you're looking for a contractor you need somebody quickly who has the experience to get something done again either relatively quickly or can provide enough experience that you don't you can get going quickly yeah that's and that's true and they're often they're looking for a specialized set of skills yeah so So if they're like we're like well we need we need to build a website we need a website expert you don't want somebody coming in being like well i've only done it for six months yeah it might take me a while to get up to speed you want somebody who can say i do this all the time give me two weeks and we'll have something yeah really basic up and running that will get you going then they can be like right we're going to turf this off to some permanent guys we've hired or whatever that's definitely true i think there are exceptions to that but in general that's what companies tend to use it for. Like we need, like in my case, I'll be like, we need someone who does React and knows what they're doing with React. Yeah. But yeah, but also sometimes it it depends. Sometimes there can be more general purpose. So I learned React whilst doing a contract. I clearly didn't know React, but I wasn't hired specifically to do React. I was hired to work on projects as a generalist. So that was a case which wasn't like that, but that those, they, they knew what they were getting into more there. They weren't after one specific skill, I guess. Yeah, they. so I worked for two types of sort of consultancy businesses where they would, for want of a better word, rent out people at, at a quite a high rate as like, so they might give you a team. They'll be like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to build this software for you. We've got three developers and two UX people. And they know that, say, the rate of renting out a person is like £1,000 a day. So they know if they can get a contractor in for £500 a day, that's lovely if they can find good people mm. and maybe they have a bit of trouble convincing or finding perm or they just have a project come up and they're like, quick, we need some people because we've, there's an opportunity to make money here. And so they're not necessarily looking for specific skills in that case. But a lot of times it is. And like yeah. something like what you do, people contract in a lot, I'd imagine. Because yeah. also it's... It's a specific skill. It's a yeah, specific like. skill. You may not need someone full-time doing it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to say about contracting, particularly, I don't know, big, big companies like uh, the investment banks I worked in, not the one you worked in specifically, but the the reason that contractors exist as well is because there's a legal difference in the way they appear on the company's balance sheets. Right? Oh, really? So what you'd find is, or what you can find is, they'll be like, right, HR of this big bank will be like, well, we don't, we can't hire any more permanent employees. And you go, okay, fine, but we need five people to do this new project. And they'll go, you can't hire them. So the way you get the way you get around that is by hiring contractors to basically do what permanent people would do. The reason is, that is because they don't appear as full time they don't employ they don't appear as employees and there's they don't have to pay any of the benefits. So contractors in in a lot of cases for those well, generally, contractors that you're paying to do basically a full time job. Yeah will tend to be cheaper for the company as well because they count as an expense yeah. rather than an employee. Yeah. So it's tax it's tax deductible for them and they don't have to pay any of the benefits. Yeah, so that that is 
the, the benefits thing was a thing that is quite a big deal for a company, really. So you're not paying like a pension for a person. Yeah, and all the other yeah. hidden costs that yeah, come exactly. with hiring someone are not there. Yeah. But then as a result of that, you tend to pay more than you would. So if you yes. were to hire a perm person, at, like we keep the numbers around. If you're going to hire a perm developer in San Francisco for like $100,000, you might pay a contractor like 150 or something a year. Yeah, by the yeah. time you'd worked it out, yeah. In terms of the, what the company's like outgoings are. But then there'll be lots of hidden costs with the permanent one. Like you've got to pay their pension and yeah. you've got to like do all these so other I think, things. I think paying a permanent employee, a hundred, like the employee saying, I have a salary of $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting, again, very country specific depending on the requirements, but it'd be interesting to see what the total cost to the company is because mm-hmm. it's obviously more than 100000 because 100000 is just uh, salary. It would be, like you say, all those other benefits as well. Yeah. And also that um, they have to, they count as an employee. So then you're like, well, we've got 50,000 employees rather than 40,000 last year. And HR tend to like not increasing that too much, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, the that's a sort of a, a get around of, of, of how you can use contractors when you don't really want to, but you don't have any other choice. But again, there are benefits for the company. The other benefit of the company when you have contracts like that, something that you've noted here is um, you can get rid of them really easily. Yeah. And that, within uh, within that very short notice period. Yeah. And that is part of the risk of being a contractor is if the company falls on hard times and they're like, let's have a whip round and fire 3% of our staff. The ones that are probably, it depends. There's no hard and fast rule because if a contractor is doing some really important work that just needs doing, they're probably not going to fire them. But if all other things equal, they'll get they the cost of firing an employee will be higher than the cost of firing a contractor. Yeah, because, because of redundancy pay. Yeah, but we know redundancy. You're just like boof gone. And so I think perhaps healthy companies probably keep a percentage of contractors so that if they decide to downsize a bit, they can do it without pain and firing people that they really like that have been there for five years or something yeah they can just perhaps there's a margin that should maybe be there in every big company yeah but i think the thing i definitely agree with what you're saying about you know them hiring them almost for strange internal reasons i've a lot of the contracts that i've done one way or another are actually contracts that were probably quite lucrative and well paid were because the company i was working for especially in bigger company was dysfunctional in some way and it's really that dysfunction that kept me employed yeah because they couldn't they, they couldn't have, get a full-time person to do it basically yeah they, they they didn't have like a good enough recruiting pipeline or people really didn't want to stay there because that job wasn't brilliant and you see that in a lot of the bigger banks in london there's like different maybe this is a bit controversial but there are different sort of tiers of banks in how many contractors they hire and there are some banks that have entire teams of people that are just contractors yeah. and i think it's because they can't get the talent any yes. other way so they're like Let's just whop up what we pay people. And to get them in the door. To yeah. get them in the door and as contractors. And there's also an element in the UK, at least, and I think in the US as well, of like, as a contractor, you can make... It's more tax efficient, effectively. So the amount of money that those contractors then also get to take home can be more. Yeah. But it depends, and the laws change, and they vary. And most countries have laws that try to prevent that. And then it's an arms race between the accountants of that country and the yeah. government as to... And the law in the UK is called IR35, which is a very scary sounding thing, which puts a bunch of requirements on you. But it probably, I think there are similar things in the US. I would imagine, yeah, most places would. Because they don't want people that would otherwise be permanent people paying a bunch of tax to then pay less tax because they're now a 
company and not a person and yeah and when really they're just doing the same job but yep. in london a lot of that does really go on if i'm honest from yeah, what it I does. Hear. It, yeah it does it's, yeah. it's, it's a massive thing they've tried to clamp down on it multiple times over multiple years and they've said a lot of things and but it still goes on it still goes on definitely and there are different things that can help your ke- because it's really difficult for any government because you don't presumably want to stifle real companies from starting and you know like because they provide jobs and they're like good for the economy. But how do you tell the difference between a legit company and a bloke, you know, coding KDB or yeah. whatever he's yeah. doing and or she's doing and sort of Well, unless you unless you audit every single company individually every year, which obviously yeah. the tax the tax uh, organization in the UK aren't gonna do. It's no. only if you're unlucky do you get so they, selected. So they have a bunch of in the UK and I think a lot of other countries, they have like sort of a checklist and it's not that any one of them will say that you are or not a company, but if if you fall foul of all of them, then they'd say, look, you're really not a company. So yeah. it's things like, do you bring your own equipment? Do you work on site and how much? So if you work remotely, that's really good in terms of like, well, hang on, you're not actually there. So you feel more like a company than a person. Yeah. And there's a bunch of other ones that are kind of similar. Those are the big two I can think of, but there's a whole bunch of different... Multi, multi-year, like contracts being renewed year after year Don't is like, the biggest joke actually yeah. I thought we were talking about this uh, with some guys at my work today but if you're contracting you know that's all well and good but having a contract that you stew for 12 months and then they just renew it and you end up being there for sort of four or five years yeah that's that's bad. a joke yeah that should i mean that's an obvious way to just be like you can't do that yeah and they yeah and it also if you work if you're a permanent employee working for a company and then you switch to contract from the company that's a bit of a red flag for them because they're like hang on a minute are you yeah. really a company because you w- were just a yeah so that but you're right yeah like sticking around at the same place for a long time it's like how can you be a contractor and be there for five years that doesn't make any sense right and another thing that would work in your favor for being a company is if you service multiple clients simultaneously yeah. so freelancers are much much less likely to fall foul of those rules because yeah. they they might have two or three clients on the books yeah uh, yeah, if all, if all of your incomes come from one company for 12 months, that's definitely going to look in dif- uh, suspicious, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all of these sorts of things that uh, they factor in and then they make some sort of magical judgment call. But a lot of people, I would say, fall foul of a lot of those things. And historically, at least three or four years ago, you could definitely get away with yeah. it. I think you could still probably get away with it now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think um, I think that's the, that's the problem with, uh, you know, the rules that are there, but people managing to get away with it. Rightly or wrongly, being it's that's up to the tax the tax people to clamp down on that, I suppose. But um, from the for the person doing it, there are benefits. In terms of the pay, I was thinking in general, if you have someone doing some code, so for coding specifically, if you're doing some coding and there's a permanent person doing some coding and there's a contractor doing some coding, on average, I would say the contractor is probably going to earn more, like across the market. However, if you if you were to make the blanket statements, people who contract earn more money, I think. That's not necessarily correct because probably the people in this industry that get paid the absolute most are probably mainly permanent employees because they tend to be management and stuff like that. Yeah. And contract, there's a certain, you're kind of like a tool for hire. So if you're still physically typing code into a keyboard, then you'll probably get a contract position. But I think if you're, there must be contract project managers, but they're, they seem to be, in my experience, they're less common Yeah, because... I guess you have management consultants as well, right? But they, I mean, they charge silly money because it's some weird... Who knows? What? Yeah. I don't even understand. <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's a difficult one because I think it's easy to think that as a contractor, you will earn more money. 
you, you could safely say that the company that you set up will earn more money than you would earn as a permanent employee. But you seeing that as your own money is different, I think. One of the, yeah, that's that, because there's true. the thing is like <clears throat> if you set up one of these companies, you then have two sets of money. You have yeah. the money that the company has, and then you have money as if you're, you know, that's that's yours post tax, yeah, whatever yeah. tax you're paying. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's a simplistic argument to say that you would definitely earn more as a contractor personally. Yes, but they, you definitely see a lot more of the money because you get it gross into the company account, the company. Yeah, so that's the thing. You kind of see more because it's more tax efficient as well, even going to personal. So if a co- well, it's a, it's a little bit. It depends on the absolute amounts because the more money you earn, the less important things like accountancy and other overhead yes. fees become. Yes, but if you ignore that, if two people earn a hundred thousand pound, like one of them is a individual working paye and one of them goes into a company if the company's to get it to the individual it's probably more tax efficient through the company so they should see more of that money i suppose but it's calculating that is non-trivial it's really hard it's hard yeah there's no like oh you just say it's like 20 percent. it's banded and as to be fair as is the the permanent employee in most countries you have tax bans it's complicated there's no online calculator though for there is for permanent employees because it's so common yeah but for companies the the rules change every year and stuff and it's, also there's there's many different ways you can do it as well like yeah it makes it tricky yeah there's not like i guess there's probably in practice you'd have to speak to an accountant really to like figure it out but in general it is better and when i went contracting i had a pretty mega spreadsheet trying to figure out what the ramifications were and it is it is a bit better coupled with the fact that you'll probably get paid a bit more anyway but I think there's definitely a trade-off in that the maximum you could ever earn as a contractor is kind of capped for most things. Your career, your how would, you, how would you say capped? As in, there's the amount you can earn a day max. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a very definite max. You can tell when you go out into the market that like there's a max you can earn. Whereas if you stay perm, the types of jobs that open up to you, like being a CTO. Mm. A CTO could earn quite a lot of money in the right company that probably a contractor could never earn, and a CTO would never be a well, is unlikely to be a contractor job. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's sort of oh, in a well paid in a big organisation, yeah, in a big sort of money could can be paid. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. not going to be a contractor, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of in terms of career progression, it's kind of a bit tricky in that. Yeah, you're not. Necessarily- well, yeah, I guess that's an interesting point, and with contracting and I guess as well with the size of the organization you're working in is career progression generally right like as a contractor there is no career progression you're getting just either better or it the best case is that you're just getting better at the technology you're using yes um as a permanent employee it would I would say what's interesting about career progression is if you're in a large organization say I don't know greater than a fat you know a thousand people or maybe more mm-hmm a suit where somebody they've got a a legitimate hr department they're then going to put a lot of focus on career progression to encourage people to stay in that organization yeah but you can be an appointment employee in a very small company like the one i work in now where there is no such thing as career progression yeah but you're doing basically just you're doing your your job you were hired to do which is a developer or whatever um, and you're not going to have to worry about every year doing all of the stuff that comes around. Yeah, come you know is involved with career progressiony stuff. Yeah, um, no 360 reviews. Yeah, and that's quite and that 
that's actually quite nice, regardless of whether you're permanent or contract in that situation, but but not having to worry about that whole stuff and just getting on with what you're doing. Yeah. Um is is a nice that might be a personal preference i guess but i'm in the same boat as you where all that stuff is like oh if i can get out of it that's a bonus either either way but yeah you're right there's definitely career progression in contract roles is certainly you're going to have no one looking out for you really it depends though because the thing that has surprised me is a couple of the roles i've done I thought it would feel really different going into it. And I, when I speak to a lot of people that are thinking about going contracting, they're kind of like, oh, they're going to treat you like rubbish and mm. you're going to get the worst work and, you know, it's going to be really boring. And actually, if a, if a company, that's not been my experience and it's not been a lot of the other people I've spoken to experience, because if a company pays top dollar for a bunch of contracts to come in, they tend to have like quite an urgent Need, thing. Yeah, requirement. Yeah. So then you tend to be on a project which like they care about and... They want you to get it done, so they'll give you what you need to get it done, hopefully. So you t- it tends to be well, not that different. Yeah, where I've worked, having had contractors in the team, you you tend, I mean, personally anyway, that was how I would deal with it, but I, you would never treat them necessarily differently. Different. You, you'd expect them all, you, you know, you're sort of all in, in it together. Yeah. In my the investment bank, we were a big team of, there was maybe 10 of us in the UK. We had multiple teams across the world, but there was at least one there might have been two contractors in our team but i work quite closely with one of them but you never sat there going well he's a contractor so he'll do this i mean he was more senior than me at the time anyway like he was a lot more experienced but you didn't sit there going well he's a contractor so if i don't want to do this because i'm a permanent employee i won't that was never (laughs) yeah never really it was never a thing i think it would be i imagine that i can definitely imagine places where that could happen. Mm. It wouldn't, you know, if somebody told me a story like that where they were like, oh, I was a contractor, so I just got jobs. Mm. I could t- completely appreciate that happening. But in my experience of the two places where I've had contractors in my team, either alongside or sort of me managing them, you don't you don't really think of that day to day because you should, yeah, everyone's the team. You just want to, you know, you've still got a job to do and the job is to get whatever it is delivered. So yeah. um, it would seem a little unfair or mean to to think of people differently like that no yeah i think i think it's something that people think happens but and maybe it does some places yeah i really i don't I, i've not heard of any but i could similarly if somebody said oh it happened to me with this i'd be like well yeah i guess it could happen but i've not seen it there is a difference between the way you're treated and the way you think about the job but that difference is smaller than most people might think. how do you mean sorry so one way that i feel it's different for me is in my permanent jobs you're like part of the well it depends on the permanent job and but the kind of idea of maybe the i don't know if it's ideal for everybody but one way you can do a permanent job is to be like i'm part of this team in this company and i want to help them succeed at all costs Mm. and so like i care about their two or three year time horizon and then making you know that this project successful whereas a contractor you're like well i'm here for like six months (laughs) like maybe i'll be here after if it gets renewed after six months maybe i won't and so if something's not quite going right, some people will stay late, but a lot of contractors are out the door at like five, six. Yeah. They work, they're paid to do a job. It's a much more transparent trade of time for money than permanent is also a trade for time for money, but it kind of gets mixed in in a lot of jobs with sort of... Loyalty. Loyalty and kind of outcomes. And Contractors are not exempt from that, but, you know, you've just got this... I think it's the 
leaving a contract to go to another contract in a contract if you take say you're taking six month contracts you're never more than six months away from the contract ending which in development terms is not that long so if it really starts you know getting you down and you really don't like it you're like probably five or four months away from being able to leave which means you can just leave or and if and you could probably think well i'm just you know gonna just go home because this isn't working or i mean hopefully it's like a really good project and i have seen contractors work really hard in one of my jobs actually yeah they were all working over 12 hours days to try and get a project done and they didn't get paid any more for it because we were on a day rate so i've seen it go both ways but i think in general it's a bit more it's a transparent trade which i actually really like about it it's like i'm giving you my my time is now worth a certain amount of money and i'm swapping my time and you're giving me the money but there's also an element because the job's so fluid of, and if this goes wrong, you know that I could go elsewhere and do it somewhere else because the market is quite liquid and the skills are quite sought after. So there's kind of that kind of tends to keep things in check because they don't really want to go out and find someone else. So yeah, they're probably gonna. I think as well. I think I think part of that uh, time for money calculation is is down to the culture of of the company and also down to the individual. Like I think. Um, you're right that in a lot of a lot of places sort of just magically expect you to work longer hours because something's going on. But as an employee, you're well within your rights to just go home at yeah. a normal time. And I've only learned that relatively recently. Some with people my do. Job. It tends to be older people. It has to be yeah. said, actually. Young, you go in as a young gun in your early 20s and tend to work like 12 hours. Well, sometimes people work a lot yeah. of hours. Yeah, I definitely worked more hours when I was uh, younger yeah. than I do now. But that's more because... Um, Maybe it's it's more that that I'm not caring as much. Similarly, to the way you're saying about contracting, you don't need to worry as much about the the higher goal. And maybe that as you get older, you you've seen enough things go a right and b wrong to say, look, whatever work I do, it's going to go one way or the other. And assuming I don't just completely take the mick and don't do anything, yeah. if I spend my you know eight, nine, ten hours a day sat there trying to achieve that without rocking the boat too much it should be successful yeah um you know i the the worst the busiest that i was i was at, at my current place was sort of do, i was sort of doing 9 to 6:30 and but that was more that was still less than other people were doing there because obviously everybody wanted it to succeed and I wanted it to succeed just because I'm not there till eight o'clock at night doesn't mean I don't want yeah. it to succeed. Nine to six thirty is like a pretty good shift, right? That's like yeah, that's full day's work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And generally, you know, in finance we don't tend we don't take lunch breaks. So um, you know, there's a lot a lot going on in that time. But similarly if they'd have asked me to work longer, I would have said no. Yeah. Cause if they thought that I wasn't doing enough work, I would say that's unreasonable. I think that there's a feeling there's a feeling of if you're my my feeling on this is that if you go somewhere to work permanent and then as we discussed there's this sort of social etiquette that you need to stay there for at least a year 18 months Mm. and then you're not at that year say 18 month point i feel like in some ways the company has some leverage there like they're basically if they said we really want you to work later you're like well, I'm only like six months into this job. I couldn't just like... And if you say no, then they could be like, well, you know, that could be like a bit of a black mark on your... Yeah, for and sure. It, and if you're... And I think as well, for me, there's an element with 
permanent jobs. I mean, some people do like to hop around, but you can't hop around at a frequency greater than a year to a year and a half. So then you're kind of like the mentality really for me is like you should probably try and stay there and build a career. But then to stay there and build a career, people can ask you to do stuff you don't want to do. And then you might have to say yes. <laughs> so then it's like... But then again, it's, it's it's that thing you're saying again about building a career. I think you're assuming that the permanent place, you're, the place you're working as a permanent employee is a big enough place that there is such a thing. There's a career, yeah. That's where it gets really tricky is if you work for a smaller company, like you say, and yeah. it's like there is limited career progression. Like, yeah, like if you're a KDB guy or girl in a company of 50, you're probably the only KDB person. Well, that's, that's exactly what I am. Yeah, and it's like where you... Were you going to become the head of the KDB? You probably already are. And then yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. well, like... exactly. That's what I mean. So then it's it's then a, it's a lot simpler uh, calculation, I guess, that you're treating it. Perhaps then maybe what I am doing is treating it more as if I was a contractor without really thinking about it. Yeah, it's, also, it's slightly more, the word I'd use is like slightly more mercenary. It's, mm. it's, I think contracting is quite mercenary and sometimes it doesn't sound that nice when you talk about it and you're like, yeah, it's like swapping time for money and... I think if I think it all comes down to personal preference though on contracting because yeah. if somebody like if you're a person for example that joins a company and you're like the mission of this company like for me I feel like if I joined a company like that I was really into and there aren't that many in the UK regrettably but like if Elon Musk tomorrow says we want you to write some really important code for like Tesla or something like redesign the UI of the new Tesla. yeah and it's like look we we got to build it in like a year and we've got these new designs like Rich we you're the guy. I think I'd I think I'd get on board with that. And I think I would like I'd be like I'm doing a thing and I feel like that thing's important and I'm like, you know, there's like a multi-year plan and like, you know, I want to be part of this company. And there's like a few companies like that for me. I think you're not gonna get that contracting. You're not gonna get that sense of like, this is a two, three, five year thing and I'm gonna be it's a journey yeah. and I'm coming on it with this company. You know, six months they have a slight financial blip and you're gone. It's yeah. like you can't so if you're the kind of person that's like you want to be a career builder in a place. Same as like joining a startup early doors and yeah. and riding it, you know, four or five years. That If you are looking for that sort of experience, it's not there. But it, where it becomes more muddy is if you're working for an established company and you're, it's kind of a bit more nine to five anyway, then the difference is not so great. And yeah, It depends how much you're driven by that... Um goal of the company to you know what what the company as a whole is trying to do how driven you are by feeling like you're an important part of that right yeah and i think if if that drive to for the the company to succeed is what drives you to do your individual job every day then a permanent job is what you're going to want right because yeah. you're not going to get that as a contractor but if you get enjoyment out of just doing your own work and you're not that bothered by what someone if someone's like just build this ui for me and you, the enjoyment you take from it is i did a good job building that ui that they wanted yeah then and and for me personally that's what started happening as i became increasingly disenfranchised <laughs> in various jobs i think if i could join a company that was like really well run and i really cared about what they were doing but there's an element for me where there aren't that many companies in London where I care what they're doing. There are a lot of comp and a lot of jobs I've had are very similar. Like I think you could drop me into a day in one versus another, and aside from the faces, I wouldn't yeah. necessarily. They all kind of feel similar, and career progression was sort of. I think as well if if I really had a, a deep desire to manage lots of people, like if your goal is to become a CTO that looks, you know, maybe you're still technical, but you're running a team of forty. You know, contracting is not a good route. Yeah, for achieving that, like it may be possible, and you can switch between the two tracks. It's not a permanent decision either. To be no, fair. no, you can. Do, I mean, anytime you wanted to switch either way, I would say 
you sh- there should be a good opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. I think if you're if you're thinking that you're by the time you're forty, you don't want to be developing anymore and you want to be managing. Yeah, yeah, you need to get out. You need to be in a permanent job in a large enough organization that they can say, look, you do this for five years and we'll give you whatever level it is and that means that you get a team and that's how you start building up yeah i mean you've got to do that but if if you want to just program or develop and you don't see yourself getting bored of that then contracting is a great way to do that and it might also be a good way to uh, get better or learn a new skill tangentially to that based on the requirements of that project yeah that happens a lot i think to say that like for example like i do a lot of react and stuff but to say that like I couldn't find a contract which had a bit of React, but a bit of like something else. I think that is quite doable. So mm. you're not completely pigeonholed. Pigeonholed in, yeah. I think. Uh, I think one thing that's worth mentioning actually is with the pay. The more specific the thing you're doing, in general, probably the more money you're going to make. It comes down to supply of people that can do that thing. But KDB is a really good example where like people that do KDB get paid a lot of money contracting because yeah. there are a limited number of people that can do KDB. Whereas something like React. There is a limited number of people, but that it's a lot more people. Yeah. And so you won't get paid as much money. And there's the famous example of SharePoint. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is the worst one. So SharePoint, for those of you who are a little younger, is like a sort of, I don't even know what it is. It's like an intranet piece of software that Microsoft have where you can share documents. It's like Google Drive, but rubbish is probably the way I Yeah, it's just... like Google Drive, and it also does like websites. Yeah. And... So if you use, if you use uh, OneDrive on Office 365 for your company... That actually is technically SharePoint behind the scenes. Oh goodness! Which, that, like, that's a scary thought. So like there are the, there are these other like software things you can do with SharePoint, and people that can do that, it's sought after by companies. I, I assume it's boring. It's old school. It's bo- It's probably quite boring, I'd imagine. And they can get paid in the UK. Like I've heard like a thousand pounds a day. More, which, yeah, which maybe I've more. Heard crazy amount. Cr- crazy amounts. Like over because basically nobody. There's nobody wants to do it. There's like ten people in the country that can do it. And they just bounce around. Yeah. It's the terrible tech companies that are like, yeah, SharePoint's still part of our strategy. There's a guy I know, a friend of uh, Mrs. Jass's that she went to university with, who uh, works in a consulting company. And, and he was on a project where they were trying to get off SharePoint. It took them more than two years, I think. Yeah. He was just tearing his hair out by the end of it. I've seen contractors that... Uh know how to configure a certain piece of financial software for mm. like, you know, they again earn a lot of money. There's like, so it's kind of like neat. The risk is with that is that all your eggs are very much in one basket. Because SharePoint is going to stop yeah. being in existence. And, and then you're going to be like, oh. If that's the only thing you can do at that point, yeah. I think the, the, the key is to like keep a general skill set and maybe specialize a bit, but with one foot in the general. And then if that thing drives It's up- so hard to do that though, when you know that there's this one thing you can do at the moment that yeah. is going to bring home the bacon. And, and, and to put it in context, like I would say you might earn twice as much. I don't think that's actually an exaggeration. I think like the SharePoint example or the KDB mm. example as a general developer versus being like a SharePoint developer or whatever twice it could be yeah, twice yeah. i think twice is sort of a fair i think for sharepoint it definitely is that yeah, sort of number yeah. because there's just such a supply issue the other one i heard recently is um uh there's some guy who's really one of the first guys to really get into machine learning i can't remember where he'd worked or what he'd done but he had he might have worked for DeepMind. right he might have been one of the early developers on DeepMind, and he's now contracting and someone told me i don't know if this is true but that that person is now earning 
three and a half thousand pounds a day. What? Which is wow. I mean, amazing. Can you imagine coming home from work and just being like, "What did What did you do today?" I literally imagine the things you could buy with three and a half thousand. I mean, I guess you have got to get tax on that, but like, my goodness, that's, that's a lot nearly of money. what is that a week times five? That's over fifteen thousand pounds a week. That's like what they used to talk about, like footballer levels, right? We're yeah, talking about multi thousands a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like a footballer style. Yeah, yeah. So you'd be like, yeah, like. Because they were talking about like Harry Kane's got like two hundred thousand a week. Yeah, You're like well, that's a lot. But then this guy's like, well, you know, I'm only he's like oh, t- he's like a tenth of a Harry yeah. Kane. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth knowing. But yeah, it's like so that is another thing. But you, but you, but it's difficult to get into that if you haven't done it as a permanent. Those because yeah. there's when they're very specific like that. No, people want high knowledge, high degree of knowledge very quickly. Yes. So you, I was lucky enough that I learned KDB in my first permanent job to give me the opportunity to go and contract if I want. KDB, no one would give you the opportunity to learn KDB on a contract. No. I think that's fair to say. Absolutely not. I think if it's like a... Again, if it was like, oh, we're doing it on the side, you come in as, say, a Java developer, but you might get to interface with it, might on a contract, you could definitely Maybe, be like, yeah. oh, well, I'll just... The problem is with KDB is it's so separate from everything else. Whereas, mm. like, if I was on a React project and someone was like, oh, we're going to do another JavaScript project, but it's Vue, I think that's probably... That's fair. Yeah. Maybe you then... And then you know Vue and... Um, oh, yeah, you'd have to learn... Yeah, you'd have to specifically spend some time on on um, on KDB, but... Um, yeah. So, so another good thing about it, about contracting, yeah. is that you can spread when you pay your tax, which... I'll explain what that means. So you get paid. Let's say you're getting Assuming paid. this is the same in other countries, but yeah. Yeah, in the UK, it's the case. But I think it will be true in any country where you use a company to yep. be paid. So you you register a company. So like whatever you decide to call your company, some funny name. And then you get paid into that company. And then you get to choose when that company then pays you as an individual. Yes. And that means that like a good example I like to give people, if if there's some like really great developer in Silicon Valley and they're earning like $200,000 a year and they work, there's two years and the first year they earn $200,000 and in the second year they take a year off to go surfing. Yeah. Then they will earn $200,000 in the first year and the government is presumably going to give them a lot of tax on that because they earn a lot of money in that year and then the second year they will pay no tax because they didn't earn any money. If you did that as a company, you would earn $200,000 into your company. You can choose to pay yourself fifty thousand dollars and then in the second year you so you would pay i think you would pay some tax on that but as an individual you wouldn't pay that much tax the company would pay quite a lot of tax still but you as an individual wouldn't pay any and then in the second year you could pay yourself another 50 yeah so you or or even if it was like 100 you could pay yourself 100 in the first year and 100 in the second but you're less likely to hit higher tax brackets so you can basically decide as an individual when to pay tax and that can be quite powerful if you want to take a break yeah, or if you want to use that time to try and do something else, like work on your own side projects, or start a company, or do a thing, it's quite a nice way of earning money and having it in a place where you can then defer defer paying the tax until you're ready. So that yeah. that's one of the main reasons I did it actually, because I wanted to do other things, and yeah. I realised that saving up to take some time off to work on a startup, for example, as a PAYE employee in the UK. You would earn, you could earn a bunch of money, but then you would, you would get taxed, and then you would put leave that money for the rainy day. Yeah. Whereas in a company, you just leave it in the company and you just let it build up. And the other benefit there then is that year that you're in your example, the year you're not working, i.e., no money's coming into the company. The company isn't going to pay any tax. Yeah. 
So, so the tax is already all paid for and so to some degree. So that's pretty great. And yeah, and you and and indeed was part of your recent holiday. Yes, yes. Uh, Mrs. Jass is a contractor, and so uh, I took four weeks unpaid from my permanent job, but she still got paid normally from her com- from her the money she'd saved up for money in the company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's got you know, and you end up you know she ends up with a, uh, enough of a buffer that she can probably not work for two or three months and it would be okay. Yeah. Um, which is nice and. Um, that's definitely a benefit you know if you like traveling or like you say want to just take a few months off to do something completely different the only real way to do that is to contract yeah it's a because it just gives you a lot more flexibility yeah it's way more flexible i've heard stories of people that like have like really solid skills that are really sought after and they do six months on six months off yeah so they just like work for six months earn a bunch of money then they pay themselves for the next six months yep what you just said reminded me of a thing which is yeah, one reason why they might not want to contract is there's a few scary things, especially when you start. Yeah. Uh, one of those things is like you start and then you get a contract and then you get fired in like the first month. You then you wouldn't get any. I mean, I guess it's kind of the same as a probation period, but like you don't get any severance or anything because yeah. you have no rights. Or if you got really sick, yeah. if you just like imagine if you started a contract and then you were diagnosed with cancer and like after you like. That would like not be an ideal situation. Whereas mm. as a permanent employee, they can fire you for having cancer. You probably you it would buy you a bit more time. Yeah. yeah. But the and I do think that is like a valid concern. So but I guess can you not get like income protection against that? You can. Yeah. I mean, I don't have it, but I guess you no, can. I don't. But you can. Yeah, and it does tend to be quite. I think it's quite expensive. But one right. thing that I think is for me, I feel is that once. When you start, there is there are those risks. But if you are sensible and you start contracting and then you leave a big buffer of money in your company... Yeah, you've got the buffer. Yeah, th- that, those sorts of problems go away after like a year or two because you're like, oh, there's a bunch of money sat there. So if tomorrow they like kick me off my contract and I can't find another one, I've got the money in the bank. It's, it's not a big deal. But those arguments don't... In some ways, the first six months to a year are the most risky time yeah. for doing it yeah. because you just don't have that buffer yet. Yeah, you want to get. I think if you're going to start out, you definitely want to start out somewhere stable, uh, i.e., one you know whether it's a big organisation or somewhere that you know they're going to be that they want you for the full time. They're not just saying yeah, yeah, twelve months, and then after a month they go. Yeah, assuming you're not terrible at what you do. But um, as well, the other thing I would say is if you can, is you want to get paid as as frequently as they will allow. So, for example, I would say if you're a contractor, getting paid weekly is a nice thing to have rather than monthly. How come? Just just because well, <clears throat> because when you're starting out, right, you have nothing. So the general problem when you're starting a new job as a permanent employee is you get paid the last time as a permanent employee in your old job, then it's at least a month. Yeah. And yeah. maybe then another two weeks, depending on, you know, it can be up to six or eight yeah, weeks yeah, before you yeah. get the first paycheck, right? And then as a contractor, you've started up this company which has zero money in it and you probably have, you will have some expenses to get set up. So either you have to pay in from your own savings into the company to get it going or if after a week they're going to pay you weekly, then you you know you're getting that money rolling in yeah. the same way. Yeah, one again, the, it's not just again, it's just like getting going. One of the problems with starting a company is that you need to pay for stuff and you don't have any money in the company. Mm. That's like That's almost what I mean, yeah. everybody that starts a company must have this problem. It's like, which is why getting paid quickly is at when you start. Yeah, it's helpful. Yeah, the first few months are a bit strange. You can put personal money in, yeah. and then get it back later, like tax free in the UK at least. But the the other thing with starting a company is the admin and the scariness of, I guess, being liable for a company. As the, in most countries, you're kind of 
You're on, not personally liable for debts, but yeah, you are liable for its behaviour. Yeah, you've got to kind of like make sure you file your taxes, which are now more complicated. You, you're basically going to definitely need an accountant. Really oh yeah, yeah. And, you, and it makes your personal tax uh, situation more complicated. Yes. If you're just a PAYE employee, yeah, it's easy. Um, not doing a tax return for personal reasons, yeah, then going into being a director of a, a company you own is is you have to do a self. You have to do a tax return for yourself as well as an accountant doing the tax return for your company. Yeah. And so, so you either have to pay your accountant to also do your tax return or you can do it yourself. Yeah, which is what I would definitely do is just get a tax, get like an accountant that will just do everything. And then I think the difficulty there then is is like, or, or a potential difficulty there is for somebody starting out, you know, listening to this and going, you know, I'll give it a go is knowing a good accountant. Yeah. And we're lucky because we know one. Emails. <laughs> yeah yeah i guess affiliate links <laughs> is he giving us a kickback i hope he uh, yeah, I, I bloody well hope so yeah but but yeah again that's part of it right it's it's the same thing it's who do i go to yeah that's... an accountant who's going to be reasonable because particularly in the uk when it comes to things like expenses there are things that you can expense and things that you can't but it isn't a hard and fast set yeah. of rules you can depending on your accountant they might be like yeah you get away with it and then five years later HMRC, the tax office here, will go, actually, that's not right, and you one, have to pay it back. One of the things I like the least about running a company is that seven year. There's like a rule in this country where it's like they can come and get you for things you did wrong for like seven years. Yeah. And sometimes it's like indefinite. And I'm like, am I going to, have I done something wrong four years ago? And I'm going to get a letter being like, you didn't declare. But that's why it's, having a good accountant is important. Yeah. It, you are still ultimately responsible for everything, but you. But someone whose brand is about like sorting this stuff out has like done it for you. Uh, but so I, presumably they kind of did a good job, and they they know they do it all the time. So but there's like, a, I think there's the accountants are are liable. Yeah, they they kind of are because yeah. they they're like chartered, right? So being a chartered accountant means you can lose that if you. Yeah. Do something fraudulent. Right? Do something bad. Yeah. But, but I think to some degree, because you could mislead them. Yes. And yeah, they could say, oh, I had incomplete information. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, and you still have to sign your company accounts, which are, to be honest, quite complicated. And, you, you know, like you get all these things, there's all these line items, it's like yeah. a four or five page document with like, you know, all these kind of like financial numbers in it. And you're mm-hmm. like... And the tax system in most countries is relatively complicated. So then you're like, yeah. the good news is, is that people have built pretty good software with things like zero and yep. other things like that, that, that basically all the accountants are really doing as well is entering everything into that. And then it says, you owe this much and yeah. here's the report that the government needs. So it's not, the thing I would say to encourage people to not be too afraid of it is the thing I realized, especially from talking to my accountant, is that many of the companies that he deals with are companies like bakeries or builders and mm. other things who do not understand the rocket science of of building code and things like that. They're just like normal people that run their businesses and they manage it. So if they manage it and you understand, you know, four loops and things, you'll probably be fine. Yeah. That's kind of the way I think about it. It's it's I guess you've just got you've got to trust that you offload that to somebody that again somebody hopefully yeah. good enough that's going to look after you and that basically what that comes down to is money so you you're going to give up a, uh, x amount of your earnings yes. like th- some thousands of pounds of dollars to pay someone else to basically do your accounts so that you don't end up in in white collar jail i suppose yeah. <laughs> so, white collar crime yeah it's difficult i think a lot of the time when we're talking about oh get this person to do x or y well we've, two examples we've said in this podcast this episode is the solution is know somebody that you trust to do those things, yeah. which is really hard, right? Because for people who are 
not haven't done it or don't happen to know somebody who's a ca- an accountant like we do it's like where the hell do you even start with that and i don't have an answer to that unfortunately no. but um if you know someone they can at least give you that, that knows about the stuff you can maybe get recommendation i think a recommendation yeah accountants have a lot of leeway over a lot of things and you hear there's a lot of there is quite a lot of leeway even for a simple what they would call an IT services firm of what you do and don't expense. We didn't even talk about expenses when you mentioned it earlier. Yes. That effect, if you have a company in most countries, when you buy things like a laptop, you don't buy them out of your own pocket. The company buys them. Yes. And you may save some tax. In the UK, you probably will save some tax and probably in America as well. Yeah. So expen- expenses for a company are, bef- are applied before taxation. So yeah. tax is applied on... Earnings minus expenses. Yes, so. yeah. So that so buying things like laptops, home broadband. If you work at home, if you need an office. But again, so this this is but the the thing is with the expenses is where it gets complicated because not everything. You, no, you, you can't you can't take you you push that you push it as much as you can, but there are things that they won't allow you. Lunchtime to sandwich, not question mark. Lunch generally is not on the cards. Unless, Public transport depends where you're going and why. Yeah, so that's on the that's an iffy one. Um, if you drive, you have to start doing things like tracking the miles that you're doing in the car for work and not for work. It's just so it, it can get complicated. But similarly, you can just you could just do it really simply and be like, look, as an IT company, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to earn whatever it is a day, and the only thing I'm going to buy is the laptop I need to do my job. Yeah, that's the simplest. Yeah, and then over time, and hopefully your account doesn't charge you an arm and a leg to do yeah what the equivalent. If it's is of simpler, it. you're going to pay less. So like, yeah, if you did that, if you started. Traveling a lot for, is a good example where it's completely legitimate. Like we, I know a person and they travel for business, and of of course, like their clients are across the world, so they need to take flights. But the number of line items on their bank statements for their business are increasing because it's like oh, I stayed here in a Premier Inn and then I took a flight here, yeah. so they'll end up with like twenty or thirty things a week that they're putting on Expenses. correctly. But uh, when they come to do the accounts, it's like 20 times more complicated than someone that's like, I bought a laptop and a desk. And, and I pay for Google Mail or something. Yeah, yeah and I, the, I've got a recurring subscription for this. Yeah. And it's like those things, you know, then it tends to be a bit simpler. And I, I worked with a guy who'd contracted for like 10 years. And he said to me, if something's like just not worth it, like you could, you could like, I could technically expense this coffee. You have to think about, how much money might I save from the tax versus yeah. what's the hassle for if they, declaring? If they question it. it as well. Yeah, and then and then yeah, and then you could get audited, and now you've got four times much more stuff. So I, for me, if, you know, if it's if it's worth less than twenty quid, depends what it is. But like, if it's a one-off thing, and it's like, you know, sometimes I need to buy like a USB cable, and I just forget, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to bother. It's, yeah. it's not worth it. It's yeah. just like you know, it's pennies. So that, but that is quite a big advantage, though potentially. Yeah, depending, uh, there are definitely other industries where being able to expense the things that you need to do your job, I can imagine, is uh, is quite important. It's it's handy, like, you get, um, if you work from home, you get a room of your house, which can be, so they, they in the UK, they divide up your house, they'll say, like, a quarter of your house is for your work or something. They It's really arbitrary. Yeah. They're like, they don't exactly get a floor plan or anything that they say, oh, you know, there's two, three room house and one of them's for you. So it's a third. And you're like, that okay. And then they take, they did, they deduct some tax of a third of your rent, which I think is probably quite significant. So there's some, mm. and if you need co-working space or if you want to buy something or if you want, it's like monitors and it's, it's a decent perk, but it's not, 
but you can take it as far as you want to take it and how far your accountant will let you take it. Yeah. The yeah, I think there are definitely it's that's the grey area that people get funny about. Yeah. Rightly so, because some people you hear of stories of people completely taking the mick with what they're claiming as expenses yes. and just playing the game of hopefully I don't get audited. Yeah, I think it's not worth it to do that, it's yeah. my feeling. And yeah. my accountant, who's also my friend for a long time, is kind of on the on the side of, you know, if you do everything legit, you you're gonna maybe lose like some pa- some money every year than if you pushed it to the limit. But then if if the government come knocking you're gonna to have to pay it back. You're, yeah, you're like even it. have to not pay the headache. You know, knowing yeah. everything was, you know, not all your quite... receipts for from the last sort of five years or whatever. Yeah, it is a bit mad. All the things you have to track, and yeah, it's there's basically admin. There is quite a bit. None of it is, and in most Western countries, there's like an index of how hard it is to start a company. And I was actually really surprised in the UK. Very easy to start a company. You can get it, it done yeah, inside it is, a week. It's like a hundred quid or something, and it's like pick a name, bish bash bosh, off you go, and it is. It's pretty straightforward. It's yeah. the tax, which is the the accounting bit, which is tricky because you have to file um, corporate accounts every year, and they're considerably more complex than your personal account, yeah. from what I've seen. Yeah. In terms of what I get, what I pay my accountants, the bulk of it is for that yeah. bit. It's like, yeah, you have to file it. Yeah. The other thing, I guess, to be aware of if you're in the UK is uh, VAT or services tax. But again, that's pretty much. Yeah. You don't really see much of that, right? No, you tend to you 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 as an IT provider have to charge that, and then you just have to pay the government that back at the end of each quarter. Yeah, so. yeah, it is a bit. It, I think it should. They should just try and simplify it as much as they can because it is in this country at least. It's. I don't even think we've got one of the worst systems. Actually, the American system sounds more complicated from what I've seen, but yeah, it's 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 still quite complicated unfortunately and you there's a lot of arbitrary rules and arbitrary percentages and a yeah. good accountant will just know them all randomly hopefully he can give you a breakdown yeah that's yeah. the trick isn't it and it's yeah it's kind of um a bit tricky but yeah it's it can be a good option but it can it depends i think it depends on the type of person you are so i guess, I guess you what you were trying to say what you were trying to get at is that contracting isn't as scary as perhaps it might seem yeah I think that's fair. It's yeah. not. It's not. And I don't think it is. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. It's. I think knowing a good accountant that you trust is a, makes it a lot less scary. Which is going to be difficult for some people. Yeah, for, I, guess. That but I don't know how we you fix that problem. But but if you know, I mean, if you're an IT, let's not call ourselves IT professionals either. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because it's because um, accountant. The reason I'm saying that is because accountancy see us as IT. IT services. Yeah, yeah. they don't. We're IT services to them, not programmers. But <laughs> I don't. Then I started saying IT. Oh God, sorry, sorry, listeners. But um, if you know someone who already is a contractor, then you can ask them. Do they like their accountant? Or if you, that's the best way. When I went contracting, I was one of the first people I knew to go. Which made it actually a little bit more scary. Mm-hmm. And my contract, my accountant is a is a like personal friend of mine, and I don't think I'd have done it if I didn't know him. Yeah, it was actually that. But now I know a few people that have done it, and I think actually I, I would just have spoken to them, and it would have probably been okay. But it is it's understandably daunting. Like it's this whole world that people don't know. But lots of people do it. Obviously, there are plenty of companies in almost every country, and it's fine. Yeah. So, so it's kind of then it just comes if you if you're over that hurdle then it's a question of is it the right thing for you personally and that kind of comes down to the sort of job you want to have and whether you want to like be a career person or yeah I think I think if you feel like you get bored in a job and want to keep thing changing things up I think that's a good a good reason to, that, to do it that's a reason I really like it you're only six months away from a new job 
Yeah. And like the how bad can the first three months of any is fine. You're in the you're in the what's it like the, the top, honeymoon, yeah, period. honeymoon period, yeah. So you can const- you can be in the honeymoon period nearly all the time if you take three month contracts. But but then on the other hand, you've got to keep. I guess so for some people find it might find it stressful that yeah. you've got to keep. Then you like you're settling in, and then it's over, and then you've got to go again. And that would not. I think that's where contracting wouldn't be good for people. A, right? a lot of this conversation is also predicated on the fact that this industry is like they're sought after skills and there's a really strong market of people wanting them if yeah. that were to not be the case i yeah. think it would actually be a bit scary if i couldn't get a perm job and i could and because the market was really tight like let's say if someone couldn't get a job i mean it's hard to imagine in our profession but like in something else i don't know what it would be you you were struggling to get a job and someone said we won't hire you because it's a bit sketchy we'll just take you on as a contractor that would be actually in some ways quite insecure because mm. there's not that guarantee or not you're less likely to get a fresh job afterwards. Afterwards, yeah. And every time you're looking is going to be really stressful then because you're like, yeah. crap, there's nothing out there. Or In some ways, contracting in the current market where software developers are sought after so much is almost like more free market employment than any other type of experience because there's just there's not very much regulation for the companies. It's just kind of like a lot of it is just, well, I could go and work elsewhere. There's this undertone of like, there are plenty of jobs you know, if you don't pay me enough, yeah. thanks, there's no obligation. It's In some ways, it's quite pure. But but if the labour market tightens up and it becomes... Well, or if there are suddenly a lot more software engineers. Yes. Either, yeah, and you're struggling to get jobs, then all of a sudden it would actually be... You might feel better at getting a permanent job and being like, well, I can probably hang out here for five years. And yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. I feel like in a generation how different that is, that feeling of... Um, getting a job for not job for, well yeah a job for life versus a job is just as long as you want to have it for yeah. it's really interesting i think how Shame. that's changed so quickly in a generation here in the uk anyway yeah that feeling of well if only I'll, it would be un, unthinkable for us i think to think about working in the same place for even 10 years yeah five years maybe i haven't worked anywhere for five years mrs miss miss rich's miss wait now i've got confused miss rich Ms. Rich, Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Ms. Rich's boss has worked at their company. She was one when he started. Yeah, which is it's amazing. Crazy, it? It's like yeah, twenty seven years. Yeah, which there, is, there are just people that just, are literally like lifers, right? Life, lifers is the term we use. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is. I think it. So the the, the problem the problem is with people that end up like that is uh, that they end up becoming so tied to that organization. That means even in 20 years' time, they want to change. That change is going to be so hard because you'll just be so in the mindset of that company yeah. uh, being more of what you do day to day than actually the underlying job. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you're, you're just half the time you're just dealing with the bureaucracy in that organization. You get really good at it. So people go, oh, he's really good at his job. Well, he's not. Not he's in really real life. Good, he's really good at getting around the bureaucracy in that organization. The thing that he's actually paid to do yeah. just ends up being more of his time, but he's not doing it 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. And that's the... But yeah, again, you know, thinking about contracting, that's where I feel like our generation and the now younger generation coming up and through, coming up is... It doesn't matter if it's only... It's not going to be for life. It's going to be for a year or two max or maybe only six months. Yeah. As long as the the churn is there and you can get something else. Yeah. The only other consideration actually when I'm thinking about it is if is for maternity and paternity leave. Yeah. So you basically get no rights on that front. And it's no. probably quite relevant because a lot of people you get it depends but it tends to be 
at least three years, but often sort of five to seven years, by which point, if you came out of university, you're heading towards 30. So if you were thinking of having kids, perhaps you might think about staying in a permanent job because you'll get... Well, then again, if you can contract for uh, two or three years, then you can do the thing like you were saying, right? Yeah, you can take a year out and you can... You, you take a year off from maternity, but you can still pay yourself, which you won't necessarily get the entire time you're on maternity. Yeah, remote work and the, mar- the, the, the market for developers is so strong that remote work and partial working from home contracting mm. is also... The, the default is still come on site, but fully remote... Partial on site seems to be actually relatively rare. Right. But, but fully remote. The US's labor market is so ridiculous for developers. It's, there's just not enough. Silicon Valley is paying two or $300,000 for developers. So having a developer in another country or somewhere else in the US for half of that or two thirds of that is good value for them. Yeah. And like, they're not there, but you know, they save themselves $100,000 to $150,000. So that, that is like, I know, and I have quite a few friends who work remotely and earn. A little bit less, but quite good money. So it's all, that's also an option. And then yeah. that's quite flexible. Yeah, the flexibility there is great. It's good. But I think, unless you have, any, do you have anything else? I think, it's a, I think we've covered it quite nicely. I think it does sound scary. I think there are, there's definitely a set of people that it would be suitable for that you feel, you know, not feeling like you're stuck in a dead end development job, really, or even a, you know, one with a career progression, you might just want to say, I don't want to go into management. Yeah. I don't want to be put in the position where I am managing. And mm-hmm. that's completely acceptable. And you can say, I just want to focus on development, in which case you either go find a smaller company or you can just say, I'll go contracting anywhere and I can just do what I want to do, go home, chill out, not spend my evenings worrying about, you know, the 10 people I've got working under me or whatever. You just like, yeah. I just don't, you know, just walk away and I don't. It's a lot less stressful. It can be less stressful in general because you're, if your colleague's an idiot, you're like, well, is only going to be an idiot or she is only going to be an idiot for four more months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. too much of an idiot. And you can, yeah, and you can often, a lot of the politics that go on, you're not involved privy with. To, privy with, yeah. Yeah, you're just kind of yeah. out of the way. So there are, yeah. But I think for some people, it's perhaps prohibitively scary as well. I think I've tried to like make the case for that, but I think there'll still be people that listening that think, Gosh, no, I don't think I could. And yeah. that's completely understandable because it is it is a little bit daunting at first. Once you started, you look back and you think, but I created a lot of spreadsheets. So I was definitely like unnecessary spreadsheets that I sometimes stumble across <laughs> where, you know, it's like four sheets and a projection of what I would earn over. <laughs> you know, it's mad. But, it's, but obviously at that time I was like, uh, you know, what is this? Whereas now I'm like, oh it's a different thing after a year or two and you kind of realise the realities of how it works. But mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very good. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. X is zero. <laughs>